Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. A very warm welcome on this, the last Wednesday of May, to This Sunday's Game. We've decided to dig into the phenomenon that is Gaelic Games in France, where one club has turned into over 20 and the lingua franca of the Gael is, well, French. Now, the majority of clubs in France have been founded by non-Irish Gaels, and we'll speak with Development Officer for the French Federation, Grégoire Bertolino. He is going to tell us about the growth, the structure and the challenges facing the beautiful games in France. But first, a bit of news. It looks like GA clubs in Ireland will be allowed to apply to be allowed to open walking tracks around their premises. Now, we've covered in the last while that push by some in the Irish media to force the GAA to open grounds for training. However, when these pushes were examined and the pleas were looked at a bit more closely, there seemed to be quite a few flaws. With the GAA players' injury scheme suspended since March, clubs would be then held liable for any injury taking place at their premises. So an, an unfortunate mishap could result in a large, large bill for any GAA club, even under the Pod of Four proposal. In addition, of course, there is a five kilometer travel exclusion boundary still in effect. So that may not be legally able to allow some to attend those mini trainings. So for the 8th of June, a walking track around a club premises might be a cautious and right step in, of course, the right direction. As the German Bundesliga plays to emptied out stadia with canned crowds uh, playing for US sports channels, the English Premier League clubs have agreed to resume contact training. A complaint was made by one club official that home advantage now counts for nothing, though he did add afterwards that it could be worse and that your home could be in Liverpool. We reported on Sunday that the NBA is looking to complete the basketball season in Disney World in Florida. And this seems to have nudged the National Hockey League into action. And they've long talked about a straight knockout competition where 24 teams are going to a playoff. And as announced this week, that the regular season is effectively over. On a 29-2 vote, the National Hockey League Players Association have approved this plan. Now, games will be held inside empty arenas at two home cities where the players and staff and others will be housed during this season restart. Now, originally they were looking for four different hubs. However, they have boiled it down to the following cities. Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Toronto and Vancouver. The hubs, said the Commissioner Beckman, would have to have secure arenas, hotels and practice facilities. And there would be aggressive COVID-19 testing and protocols at each site. Major League Baseball might not be returning in July as planned due to a player's strike. The proposed 82-game season will already see salaries effectively halved because players are paid on a pro-rata or per-game basis. A further 10% cut has been sought by the owners. Now, the Players' Union have decided that they would use LA Angels' Mike Trout as an example of how the players are going to lose out. They said that under this formula, Trout, who earns 37.666666 million dollars per year, of course this is the highest full season salary in baseball, he would make only 19 million dollars on this pro rata basis and would have a base salary of 5.7 million. 
Now, they did say, of course, that if his team went on to make the World Series, he'd make an additional $2.5 million. On other sort of more good news, Dodgers Stadium, where the LA Dodgers play, has been opened as a coronavirus testing site. Of course, following in the footsteps of our very own Copar. Okay, straight away to France and to Grégoire Bertolino. Okay, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome on to this Sunday's game, the development officer for, well, he'll say that himself, but he also plays with Lugdunum Club in Lyon. Um, Grégoire Bertolino. Grégoire, a very warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. For, explain it to me. So it's the Football Federation, the Federation of Football, or the Alternative uh, Federation? What is it? Yeah, it's, it's basically we are uh, the federation that organizes all the Gaelic games in France. It started with football, but we are trying to develop uh, as well uh, hurling, camogie, and uh, Gaelic handball. In France, there, you know, because there's a lot of closeness between France and Ireland going back centuries and of course between Brittany for example in the northwest of France and Ireland where there has been for thousands of years exchange um, how long has Gaelic games been going in France? It started really with Gaelic football uh, it started it appeared in France around 1994 uh, some Irish expatriates created the, the Paris Gales GA club uh, and it started in Paris and very soon, I think it was in 1998, you had a club in Rennes, Brittany, that was the first Brittany uh, club. Then it started uh, spreading from there. Uh, obviously in Brittany, because of this Celtic connection, uh, you had a strong interest in this kind of sport, uh, spreading like that. And in, in 2000, I think we had the uh, the Brest Gaelic football Broléon, uh, who was the first European club to be founded by non-Irish people. The local people, French people or other uh, nationalities started uh, taking the sports and making it themselves and started uh, creating clubs uh, everywhere. So uh, at this stage, we have uh, around five or 26 operating clubs in, in, in the country. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I know myself from seeing, for example, at the World Games, the French ladies and men's teams in football, and they did terrifically well. I remember the women's team were very, very strong, and they, they put it up to some of the top American sides, for example. You know, Gaelic games have been growing. Gaelic football, of course, taken to heart by a lot of French people. How many Irish are involved in clubs now in France? It depends on the clubs, of course. For instance, uh, in my club, uh, the, the Lugnum CLG, it's part of the uh, Irish-French association in Lyon. So we have a very strong Irish community. And uh, I'd say that maybe uh, half of the um, active members uh, are Irish. Uh, but it's something that is changing uh, lately. And we're having more and more players that are locals. Our ladies team uh, this year has maybe only one Irish player and, and the rest are French players or um, local expatriates. Uh, yeah, so basically there'd be a, a range of nationalities, not just Irish or French. So you've, as you said, you've got Spanish and so on and so forth. Yeah, well, you have, you have, uh, you have two things uh, that are mixing there. Uh, the first thing, of course, is that... Uh, even though uh, the clubs uh, were funded by non-Irish or even Irish people, uh, the main uh, recruitment uh, spots 
uh, is Irish uh, Erasmus student. If you want to have one or two players, even if they're coming only for a semester or one year, but they can make everyone improve uh, to be able to play Gaelic football abroad. This allows us to have strong recruitment spots inside universities and inside the Erasmus population. Uh, so you end up with having uh, uh, people coming from uh, other countries uh, because they're just hanging out with uh, the Irish guys from the Erasmus group. And then they say, oh, I'll try that. And at the same time, we're, we're starting to have some French students that know about the game because of those interactions. And these ones are the more, most interesting for us because they are the ones that stay from one season to the other and they help the clubs grow up. The, the Erasmus students, as you mentioned, like some of them, they could be from Guatemala. I mean, we've met them here in Russia. They'll, they'll, they'll play Gaelic football. But they're only there for a semester or one year. But you've been able then to get the French students who come along with, say, the Irish or the German or the Americans and they stay with the club. That's, that's the idea. At least in, in, in some clubs, that's the way it works and it works well. And then in other clubs, uh, we're starting to have good relations with the local authorities. So we can participate to forums, to meetings, to gatherings. And it allows to go and bring to the sport people that are interested in something different, something more complete, uh, something where you can have intensity without contact at least without too much contact. Uh, something that you can play outside uh, that has a kind of special spirit. Uh, and since it's still a confidential sport in France, we're about a thousand licenses. Uh, very quickly, everyone knows each other and it brings a very nice uh, spirit to the, the tournaments and to the, the after tournaments. And Which is most important, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the idea is that people are liking that. So they're coming and they're bringing friends. It's, it's start, I mean, all the clubs are reaching a point where they're developing quite well because they can bring from year to year one or two persons, one or two players to stay and to bring some friends. And, and it grows slowly but, uh, but smoothly. So you got around a thousand players, and of course, as you mentioned, the community is very, very important. And of course, the, the community is very active in France. How does the French system work? Because it's not just like, for example, in Central East Europe, where we have four tournaments, one-day tournaments. You have leagues and cups, correct? After the Brittany organized itself in a sub-region, because of their um, geographical proximity, uh, they started doing the league that is running up uh, all, all the year. And, and they can meet themselves in, in two games, you know, one home and one away. Uh, it's something uh, very important for them uh, to help develop the game and, and, and gain attention from the public. And actually, you have in Brittany... Uh, in Nantes, you have one of the first organized uh, supporters club, you know, that they, they go to every game of their team and they're there with, uh, with fireworks and with chants and with flags and uh, they're bringing the ultra uh, spirit of soccer to Gaelic football and it's very interesting how they mix the cultures. And so in Brittany, the fact that they have this league running throughout the year, uh, it helps them develop all that's around the, 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 the game, not only the games, you know, but 
real uh, developing the culture of the of the Gaelic sports. So in it's actually rest, a sports yeah. society, a sports community is growing yeah. from this. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, and involving the local authorities and uh, involving the the the, pub the public, uh, the supporters, and that's something very interesting that they're having there. I think uh, the only other place in in Europe where they have that is in Galicia. Yeah, and and they're having the same uh, uh, developing uh, spirit. Uh, and then in the rest of France, what we call the, the federal zone, which includes all the clubs that are not in Brittany, uh, regular season that works like other uh, regions in Europe, where you have three to four tournaments, and then you have a classification uh, based on that. Last year, you have a second subdivision that created itself in Southwest, uh, which is the Gasconia League. Uh, or Southwest League. Actually, it's only three clubs, Niort, Toulouse, and Bordeaux. And they're having their own league with their own titles. Uh, they're still participating to the federal zone, you know. So they're having the league in, during the fall and then uh, during the spring. And we're having the, the, the spring and summer, we're having the, the regular tournaments. Yes. That, that's the idea. It's at the end of the year in June, usually, we have this huge gathering where all the clubs go uh, from Brittany, from uh, the federal region. And, and that's one day of a big tournament with uh, four divisions where all the teams gather uh, and play for the what we call the, the, the French uh, tournament. Not like that only the best two teams from Brittany go. All the teams can go and take part. Well, all the teams go and take part. And depending on the ranking during the, the regular season, they are accessing to the first, second, third division or the ladies division, of course, mm -hmm. depending on the ranking uh, during the, the regular season. And then they compete for the... Uh, title of French champion for Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, uh, and the ladies. We tried something different this year because we we wanted to have like a kind of elite league. The first three teams from Brittany and the first three teams from the federal zone are competing uh, for the the year after. Uh, they are competing in a special league where they play one tournaments. Five, uh, 15 aside, one tournament, 11 aside, and one tournament, nine aside. So the idea is to be able to play 15 aside. The idea is to be able also to prepare themselves for the international competitions that are usually played nine aside. Uh, and we're trying to have to promote this kind of elite tournament so that through all the year they have, they have a like elite league and it's something they play besides the the, the regular games they have a kind of elite game so that they can compete with the most competitive teams in france so that the level of the players can uh, increase do you think that it'll be a, a it'll be a good challenge for the top elite french teams when the european super league comes in that they can actually go and play against say five or six teams from around europe in a more structured league would that help football in france at least uh they are very eager to do it uh that i'm sure okay. Will it help? I don't know. But we, we have a history of going, like, even the best teams in France going to European tournaments and, and being smashed down by the other teams. Uh, <laughs> because even if you're very good in France, you might be no match for a full Irish expat team. Um, I think this kind of, uh, of international competition can only uh, raise uh, the level uh, and increase the level of the players that participate in it. So definitely would be good uh, it's it's especially good for the for the national teams because most of our or french top teams are no irish players
Listen, just uh, uh, interesting for me. How did you get involved in Gaelic football? It came from my best man, actually. Short after my wedding, he told me, uh, let's try this weird sport I've never heard about. Uh, it was on a web platform that's called On Va Sortir. And uh -huh. it's like, let's go out. Uh, and, and people propose things on that. And he said, yeah, let's go there. It seems weird. It's called Gaelic football. I've never heard about I never went in Ireland before, so I said, yeah, let, let's, let's try. And after half an hour, I fell in love with the game. I genuinely fell in love with the game. I was living in Aix-en-Provence at the time, and there were two guys, one Italian, uh, Alfonso Duca, uh, coming from Padova and the Padigals and installed in Provence, and one guy coming from Vannes, who was Cyril Besser. I fell in love with the game. I fell in love with those two guys too. And very shortly after, with all the people, we created the club in Aix-en-Provence. It was the Gaelic Football Provence. Two years later, I was having my referee diplomas, my coach diplomas, and, and I, was, I was just... A lot of Irish people don't realise, even when the World Games are on, and even when the GAA have moved to have a World GAA, that they govern Gaelic games around the world, Irish people don't think to me, oh, do you think America, yeah, there's Gaelic football there. Or Australia, yeah, well, yeah, there's Irish there. But they don't realise just how passionate non-Irish are about the sport. Do you think that there is room and potential for Gaelic games, um, and especially Gaelic football, to go even further? That's the first question for you. Uh, there's definitely space. Uh, for Gaelic football, I'm sure of it, because we have a strong soccer culture, rugby culture, uh, handball culture, basketball culture. So all those sports that you get skills from those sports and transpose them to Gaelic football. And actually, I really think there is room. Um, another thing is that when you arrive in these kind of sports, even the guy that knows the most about these sports knows only for five years or four years. So you can easily and quickly uh, level up and reach the same level. So this is interesting because lots of people coming with sport, sports culture, uh, collective sports culture, they, they can easily melt in the Gaelic football culture. So there's room for Gaelic football development. And, and I see it uh, as a development officer. We have every year, we have one or two clubs uh, popping and, and, and adding to the, to the list. What yeah. difficulties do you face? Like, that's the second question I want to ask. So, I mean, this, it's very, very positive. What are the, what's the downside? What's the difficulties that, that you face in France trying to grow? Well, the main, main difficulty is that you're lacking of infrastructures and fields. Uh, so it's a real battle inside the cities and the municipalities and local authorities to get a spot on a field and to get locker rooms and, and to get training sessions. Uh, that's the main issue. Uh, luckily, most of the clubs don't have to pay for the session. Exception made of Paris, for instance, that has to pay for everything. But when you're in a big, 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 big city with lots and lots of clubs, it's complicated. The fact that we don't have a federation that is officially recognized by the French sports ministry makes it difficult sometimes to have access in some cities to the, the, the facilities. It really depends on the city council and the way they're seeing it. Um, some new clubs just arrive like saviors because the soccer club just 
uh, went down, those facilities are not used. So somebody comes up with a Gaelic football project and then, yes, let's go. So this is, this is something um, that, that's a real issue uh, for most of the clubs and uh, in terms of sustainability, sustainability, capacity of getting funds also because if you have no recognized federation and you're not an official sport, then it's complicated to have subsidies. So it's always, this is the downside of being a, a confidential sport but we're working on it with the Federation to have some kind of recognition. And this would help definitely the clubs to structure themselves and to have more um, access to facilities and to subsidies and, and to develop. Every every club has to work with, the, I mean, every player has to pay between a thousand and a thousand and a half uh, euros per year to make all the the moving and, and going to the games and things like that. So it's it's expensive. It's not expensive in terms of license, but it's expensive in terms of uh, traveling and accommodation. But beer money is very important. Um, <laughs> of course it is. Like the, the, yeah. in, in rugby, they call it the third half, you know, like the... Exactly, the, the third, third half. Uh, now, for, yeah. the, for the, the, the hurling, it's a little bit more complicated because we don't have a stick culture in France. Ah. Like in Germany, for instance, it's working very well. Uh, it's complicated. You have some clubs that are trying to to promote hurling, but it's not easy. Uh, it might be easier for the Gaelic handball because we have lots of people playing hand wall wall ball or things yeah. like that. We're start, we we have a small development group that is working on Gaelic handball, and it might be easier to develop that. The thing is that there's no competition uh, in Europe for Gaelic handball yet, so it's complicated to to have people motivate themselves to... And to go to the next level, of course. It's a, yeah, is it Thank you so, so much for your time today. And um, I know I'm going to be back on to you again. You know, once we start to come out of lockdown and when you guys get back in the field training and playing, we yep. want to hear more about uh, Gaelic Games in France. Have a brilliant day, Gregor. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That was Gregoire Bertolino, the development officer for Gaelic Games in France. And of course, he's a member of the Long Dunham Club in Lyon. As the final whistle blows on this episode of this Sunday's game, we we'll say merci beaucoup de Gregoire. We will wish the French Federation bon chance or continued bon chance for the development of Gaelic Games in France. We'll talk to you again on Sunday. So until then, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>